Hey everybody, how's it going? It's good to see everyone. I want to start today just a little bit different. Um, it's going to call for just a little bit of interaction, but not in an embarrassing way, I promise. Okay? see a lot of people are afraid. So what I would like to do is I would like you uh, to find one or maybe two. If there's, don't leave anyone out. <laughs> Sorry, we only have two. You have to, you don't get talked to. But, um, and I want you to share with someone who's not like your spouse or significant other uh, the most fun you've ever had in your life. Okay. Now, don't put too much pressure on yourself. You can consider it one of the 10 most fun times you've ever had in your life, but it has to be fun. So I'd like you to find someone you're not uh, connected to normally and just share uh, the most fun you've ever had or one of the top 10 most fun things you've ever done. Okay, can you do that for me? Okay, go to it. Do it. Can we have some mood music? Sorry. All right. I know your most fun time is probably an epic story, and you're having to do the edited version, but that's okay. Come on back. So I like to think I've, I've had 
uh, some, I'm sorry, I'm totally interrupting your stories, I know, but I like to think that I've, uh, it's hard for me to choose the most fun time, but one, for some reason when I was thinking about this, a story from high school came back to me. Um, so in high school, uh, I had a favorite band, and I don't know if, I'm not expecting any of you to know them, some of you probably do, uh, a band called Fishbone, no one, no one, okay, see, yeah, well, anyway, I wasn't very cool. So uh, it was my favorite band, and they were coming uh, to the nearest large city near me, which was St. Louis, and I got all of my best friends to go with me, which uh, I was a little bit of a ringleader, so it was kind of fun. I got all my friends together. We carpooled out there. We got tickets. I made everyone get there early so that we were kind of standing a third person back from the stage, so we had great seats. Uh, The band members were sweating on us, um, and they played all of my favorite songs. And it was one of those rare occasions where all of my expectations were met. It was perfect. And then it got better. So the lead singer is this dude named Angelo Moore. And he did this thing where along the, it was like a a really nice old theater. um, And there were like angels and gargoyles and stuff on the wall. So he climbed up the wall, uh, holding onto those things into the balcony went all the way around to the middle of the stage, played a sax solo, dove out of the balcony into the crowd, and crowd surfed right over us and back onto the stage. So I was holding parts of his anatomy at different points. (laughs) And for me, it was like, this is like the dream concert. The only thing that could have made it better is if I was invited on stage or something to perform. But I don't play saxophone or any horns. But it was so much fun. I will never forget that day. I still have a t-shirt that I sleep in sometimes that has holes in the armpits and totally faded, but I will never let go of that t-shirt. And if it disappears, I will know who to blame. <laughs> but how many of you, how many of you, some of your fun experiences uh, were connected to the church or a church? Anyone? Okay, we have to change this. We have to change this. So some of mine are. So, oh, we have some people? All right, well, there's some hands going up. I was expecting woos, and I got hand raises. So that's cool. Uh, but some of mine are. I remember playing football. Uh, I, I lived in Chicago for a long time, and it snowed one time. I remember I was with my small group. We have small groups in our church, too. And we were cooking as the snow fell. And then after uh, we were done eating, we looked outside the window, and there was probably like three or four inches worth of snow, and we just went out. And we had this killer, killer snowball fight. It was awesome. We could toss each other around. No one would get hurt because they're just landing in powder. Um, I remember being at, at, at like church services or conferences where I would, would and did experience the, like the actual presence of God in ways that just let me know that um, I was loved. That was awesome. That was fun. I remember our first church service in 2004, and people actually showed up, and that was fun. So... Some of my memories uh, of, my, of the most fun times I've ever had were, were connected to the church. And that's where we want to start today. We're talking about fun, but we're really going to talk about more than fun. Uh, not less than fun, but more than fun. And how, basically, we can pursue happiness, joy, and even fun in life. And I mentioned last week that spiritual vitality uh, is where we're focusing all year long. And last week I said that that really begins in our hearts. 
And if we can connect our hearts uh, to love for Jesus, uh, that can be a game changer and create an environment for us where real vitality and depth can grow. So for the next several weeks, uh, we're going to be hearing from people in our church around the topic of why I love Jesus uh, with the hopes of sort of not only encouraging the people to get to share their stories, but of warming our own hearts hearing the stories of others. So I get to start this week. And uh, one thing I love about Jesus, speaking of fun, is that he loves to throw parties. He's, if you pay attention to what Jesus does, he always is talking about parties or throwing parties. In fact, uh, the image he gives of why you should follow him, why it's going to pay off in the end, is an amazing party that he throws with lots of food, uh, good music, dancing, a feast, uh, everyone there having a good time, enjoying life. So I love that about Jesus. Part of my personality, um, you may or may not know this, I love to be stupid and goofy in front of people. That's fun for me. I love to, I love to have fun. I love to eat. I love it. I like all kinds of foods from all over the world. Um, and so I'm really into this, and I really love this about Jesus. So let me read our story today. Uh, to see uh, how we can experience more of this. So, now, this is in Luke 15, I believe. Yes, it is. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So, uh, tax collectors and sinners, those would be people who are kind of on the fringes of society, considered uh, uh, not cool people by most people. And then the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would be like the upstanding citizens, the particularly religious crew. Um, and that's why they say, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fee fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate another party. For this, son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, 
after these year, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So maybe some of you know that story. It's one of Jesus' most famous parables. It's called the parable, often referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. And then we give a little props here to Tim Keller and his book, Prodigal God, which really helped me with some of the ideas in this talk. Now, in this passage, there are two clear approaches, I think, uh, to happiness or how to obtain happiness that we can see play out. That's why I've picked this passage because, yes, there's a party, and also it shows how you can be a part of that party. And the first path is what you might call the path of self-discovery, or I can make myself happy. And this approach uh, holds that people must be free to pursue their own goals and self-actualization regardless of custom or convention or the society around them. And in this view, the world would be a far better place if tradition, prejudice, top-down authority, and other barriers to personal freedom were weakened or removed. And this is what we see displayed in the life of the younger brother. So he runs away, runs away from what he sees as the overbearing, oppressive situation of his home with his father. He wants to get out of there. So he runs away to find himself, to experience life without all the rules and the expectations of home. You see that happening? And I think what we see is Jesus really critiques this approach. And he basically says, look, you have totally misunderstood the Father. He's not trying to control you or dominate you or take the fun and excitement out of your life. The Father's awesome. So if you look at all the ways the Father's described in this passage, he's generous, uh, he's forgiving, he's accepting, he's affectionate, he throws killer parties. This is the Father. You know, it doesn't take a PhD in theology to figure out that the father in this passage is supposed to represent God, right? And the critique here, I think, or the point here that I think Jesus is trying to make is that when we see God as this oppressive, authoritative, authoritarian, control freak who's a buzzkill, we aren't seeing the God that Jesus knows, or that Jesus describes. And that image comes from somewhere else. But it never comes from Jesus. If you follow the way that Jesus describes God, or the Father in heaven, he's generous, he's forgiving, he's accepting, he's affectionate. He throws killer parties. Never oppressive, never a buzzkill, never a control freak even. And if we think about the way God is described in the Bible, he's also slow to anger, compassionate. Psalm 16 says he has eternal pleasures in his right hand. James says that every good and perfect gift comes from him. So Jesus' main criticism of the younger brother's approach is not that he wants to be happy, but that he directs his energies and passions in the wrong direction, away from God rather than toward God. And there's another approach to happiness I think we can see here. 
And that I'm calling like moral conformity, being a good person. And this is, can be described as I can make God make me happy. I can make God make me happy. And you see this played out in the approach of the older brother. So it goes something like this. I'm going to put the will of God and the standards of that community ahead of individual fulfillment. So in this view, we only experience happiness in a world made right by achieving some sort of moral goal. Strict obedience to the Bible is the answer. We may fall sometimes, but then we'll be judged by how sorry we are. And basically, we're judged on everything. Now, that doesn't necessarily sound so bad, right, if it's true. So let's, let's see what Jesus says. He says, in his story, I think we can see that he critiques this as well. So the older brother, who has, quote, never disobeyed orders, isn't happy at all in this passage, is he? In fact, he's angry, bitter, and a real party pooper. He misses the big party that the father's throwing. He won't go in. You know, what's, what is up with that? Well, according to the story, the older brother doesn't want the father either. He wants his stuff, but not him. And he thinks that by following the rules, the father owes him parties, riches, a happy life. And he's angered that the father would give that to someone who hasn't put in the time. You see, the younger brothers and the older brothers think that they are on the other ends of the spectrum. They think that they're opposites. So the moral conformist, or the person who's like the older brother, says, the immoral people, the people who do their own thing, they're the problem with the world. And moral people like me are the solution. Then you've got the advocates of self-discovery. They say the bigoted people, the people who say we have the truth, are the people... Are the, are the problem with the world, and the progressive people are the solution, like me. But what the older and younger brothers don't realize is that they actually have the same approach to achieving happiness. They're flip sides of the same coin. They both have found a way to take control for themselves and push God away. So with the younger brothers, it's just a little bit more obvious. I'm going to take your stuff and run away. I don't want you in my life. But the older brothers do the same thing. They think, I'll follow the rules so well that you'll have to do what I want. You will owe me. Um, there's a novel by Flannery O'Connor called Wise Blood. And there's a character in it called uh, Hazel Motes. And she describes him this way. She says, there was a deep black wor wordless conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. You see, you can try to avoid needing God by following the rules. Effectively pushing God away and taking control for yourself. Just like the younger brothers push God away and take control for themselves by leaving God in the dust. It's a great way to keep God at arm's length. It's the same idea expressed in two different ways. Do you see that? And Jesus is saying it never works. 
And this, I would suggest, are the two ways that we most often try and live our lives. And often the ideas that religions are founded on, but not the religion of Jesus. And Jesus offers and promotes something very different, very unique, not what you would intuitively expect. This is not business as usual. This is not the same as every other faith. Jesus is doing something radical here. This is why I love Jesus. Jesus has an alternative. And his alternative is that life with the Father is happiness. Life in connection with God is where we find fulfillment, transcendence, life. That most of the other ways that we approach trying to find happiness are ways to push God away when what we want is found in him. There's a story in the Bible that Jesus tells called the Pearl of Great Price. It's about this pearl merchant who stumbles across like the most amazing pearl you've ever found in this field. So he quickly buries it. I don't know why a pearl would be in a field, but that's where it is. And he buries it in the field and he runs off and he sells everything that he has just to buy that field so he can have that pearl. Because he's found the ultimate thing in his life that delights him, that brings him joy. And everything else he can let go of at that point. That's it. That's the party. It's not the drinks. It's not the food. It's not the dancing. It's not even the community. Although those things are cool and great to be enjoyed. But it's the host. It's the host. It's free and available, but also it kind of costs you everything <laughs> because you've got to go where the host is. You've got to follow. So there actually is obedience but not to use God, but rather to see, to understand, to love, to discover more about God and God. Self-discovery is in God's presence, in the context of morality that is empowered by and understood through grace. And this is what's different and what changes people, changes you, changes me, and brings real happiness. So, if the other approaches are so natural and ingrained in us, how can we tell if we're trying to live them out and missing what Jesus is offering? Well, let me give you a few things that could be signs that you're missing the party. Does that sound interesting? Signs that you might be missing the party. The first, when life doesn't go my way, I feel bitter. When life doesn't go my way, I feel bitter. It says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Life isn't easy. And I think Jesus uses a party to describe life with the Father in this instance. But he uses other pictures sometimes too. Like a seed that falls to the ground and dies so that it can produce more seeds. And like his life, Jesus' life, which included a lot of suffering. Following Jesus doesn't shield us from pain, from tragedy, from suffering, but if we think it does, when those things come along, we won't just feel sad or disappointed, we'll feel betrayed and bitter. Bitterness is a sign of older brother syndrome. I did what I was supposed to do, God, but you didn't. You owe me better. But it doesn't work like that. 
We can't control God with our actions. And if we're becoming bitter, it may be, maybe, a sign that we're trending away from grace and towards self-dependence. Let's just take a minute. Just in your own head and heart, do you feel bitter? Next thing, I feel like I'm living out of joyless duty. I'm living out of joyless duty. Duty will kill your relationship with God or anyone else. We always follow God because we know that when we get more of God, that's always a good thing. That's where we can anchor our joy. When duty becomes our motivation, we just honor God. It's like saying, I'd rather be out there where the younger brother is. He's really living life. But because I have to, I'm going to sacrifice the fun in life to follow you. Does that sound like what Jesus is offering in the Father? No. The idea here is there are no martyrs in the kingdom of God. He's the prize. God's the prize. We may not feel it every day or for long seasons of our life even. We may have seasons that are dark nights of the soul, but life, the deepest joys, what we're looking for, true happiness, is by God's side. And the word should is the death knell or the killer of faith. Should. What's better is it's my joy to follow because in you is life. But if I should follow Jesus, it won't work. The last one. I'm not sure of the Father's love. I'm not sure God is really out for my best, that he loves me, that God loves me. Notice this line. It says, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. In other words, you never threw me a party. This is a tough one. If you don't feel loved by God, the last thing I want to do is pile on. But I would like to suggest that the the embrace that the younger brother experiences in this parable is available to all of us. That's the heart of God for you. And he doesn't want that love to be an abstract idea or a theological concept or just something you read about. He wants you to feel it, to know it. And if you haven't felt it, if it's not an ongoing reality in your life, it's so easy to just slip right into the older brother mode and start trying to earn the love and favor of God. Or when you don't feel it, turn to some wild living alternative that promises assurance and escape, but really just brings you down. Ask for this, pray for this. Remember scriptures that say things like, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw his child and was filled with compassion, ran to his daughter, threw his arms around her and kissed her. Let people pray this into your life. This is not something usually just happens overnight. But we need to know this. 
So who needs to know that Jesus' approach to happiness is neither self-discovery nor moralism? The first, I would say elder brothers. And here's what I'd say. You may be sick, but you can get better. Committed people of faith in Jesus. It's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. That's what Jesus said. We are the sick. We need help. We need a savior. If we lose touch with this, we will push God away and we'll push other people away from God because who wants to be around or explore the faith of the elder brother? And that's what we become when we forget this. Second, younger brothers. Let me just tell you this. Jesus doesn't like moralism or oppressive religion either. Faith in Jesus is not the moralism that you may have experienced through some of your interactions with elder brothers or even seen on TV (laughs) or read about on your news feed. That's not the life that Jesus prescribes. It's not. It's not in the story. This faith, this experience is different than that. This is what we need. And a third group of people, Yelder Brothers, spelled Y-E-L-D-E-R. I would encourage you to explore Christianity from a new perspective. What do I mean? Well, first of all, what's a Yelder Brother? I don't think that's an English word. Uh, But a Yelder Brother is this. It's a combination of an elder and a younger brother. A Yelder Brother. So, for example, maybe you're a shaken elder brother. And you're starting to realize that your approach to Jesus and faith, maybe even the way that it was given to you, isn't working. And it feels like it's breaking down. And you're wondering if it's all falling apart. It's okay to explore Jesus' Christianity from a new perspective. There may be things that you think you have to believe that Millions of Christians around the world don't. There may be political uh, things that you feel like to be a Christian, you're being, you have to believe that millions of Christians don't. Whatever it is that's tripping you up, maybe it's not Jesus. Maybe it's something that good meaning people gave you with Jesus. Maybe, and here's another one. Here's another possible. Elder. Maybe you're a former elder turned younger brother. Elder. So maybe you even grew up in a conservative religious home. You were given simple approaches to faith and rules that didn't work. And when it didn't work, you felt used and decided to pitch the whole thing. But for some reason, you're here today. Maybe you know on some level that Jesus is legit. Maybe you even have experienced something about him, and despite all the negative things that you've experienced, despite all the disappointments, despite all the things you can't buy into, you can't let that go. There's something real there. I would say to you, that moralism, that formulaic approach, that culture that burns you or is breaking down, or just doesn't make sense with the person you've become or are becoming, Consider that that's not Jesus. Look at the Jesus in these stories. That's Jesus. They're not one and the same. You can have Jesus 
without all the religious trappings. And so instead of throwing him away, why not consider exploring Christianity from a new perspective? And before you throw it out, make sure you're throwing it out for the right reasons, things that are really connected to Jesus. Like if you can't buy into something about loving God, it's going to be hard for you to follow Jesus. If you don't have any room for that. We see that obviously as a theme in our passage today. Make sure it's something that really is connected to Jesus though before you pitch it all. And my hope is that we can all approach Jesus in a different way than we're generally offered. Not in the self-focused ways that come naturally to us. Ways that push God away and try to put control in our hands. But in ways that give up that control to a God who's like the Father in this story. Compassionate, loving, affectionate, and fun. Trustworthy. Let's pray. As we pray, if you're on the worship team, go ahead and make your way up. God, I just don't feel like um, the best example of this, as much as I love to talk about your goodness, I don't feel like I live this out often. So I pray that by your spirit, even as we sing songs to you, you make this message true in our hearts. Amen. Okay, so we're going to spend the next 20 minutes or so worshiping God in song. If you wouldn't mind standing, that's a great way to start. As we move along, if you want to sit down, you want to kneel, that's fine. Um, but we're going to start standing. And if you want to clap uh, or anything like that, I, we just want you to connect to Jesus. So go ahead, stand up. Um, also, during the first song, you'll notice we receive our offering. Uh, there's no pressure to give, but this is a way to support what God's doing here. So if you you felt encouraged. It's a great way to help support that. And also, it's a, a, a powerful way to worship. Um, and so that, those, um, you can also give online. There's a link in your bulletin posted behind me. Uh, sometimes that's easier these days for people to give. Um, so don't be distracted when that comes by. But take, take the opportunity as you feel led. And give me just a moment to get set up. So my apologies for that awkward pause as I moved over here. Um, but let's just take this moment to turn our attention in hope for the actual experience of a